right. Welcome back. Welcome is, back. Welcome back. Here we are. Look at Science us. Science in between. Yes. Episode 29. 29. I'm Scott. I'm Ollie. And we're I, back see, no, in our prime. <laughs> I tried to do it, but you snuck around me. I did. I was I was gonna like cut you off at the pass because no, I, didn't I was want to cutting be... you off at the pass. All right. Well, one of us cut one the of other. us was cutting the other, and we all know who it was. <laughs> <laughs> Every listener out there knows that's they right. Do. That's right. Every, they, uh, they the know. dozens of listeners know. Who it was? The, the five, fours or fives of listeners. Yes. No. Exactly. There's at least a, there's at least a couple dozen. At you least. Think? Maybe. I don't know. I like to be, be optimistic. Couple dozen, dozen. Couple dozen. And uh, episode twenty nine <clears throat> has us once again revisiting uh, the cross cutting concepts. Yes, indeed. The yeah. triple C, as we like to call them. Here. <laughs> Is that what we're doing now? <laughs> no, know. that's right. It's like the triple G, the triple yeah. D. That's right. We did that triple on the. Diners, drive-ins, and dives. Ugh, yeah, and you're getting frosted tips, and I'm going to wear my sunglasses on the back of my neck. Right, and we need to have some catchphrases, right? Oh, we're, get, we've, we're getting catchphrases. We sure. don't have to, like, but... You, uh, we need uh, bowling shirts. Doesn't he always wear bowling uh, shirts? Maybe at one point he did. I don't know that he still does. That's a great question. I am not a connoisseur of the triple d so uh not I, not that i haven't watched many episodes but they all sort of blur together and they that do makes it difficult to parse yeah i guess like now on sh- with with streaming content it's kind of hard to say i'm just gonna sit down and stream some dinosaur drives and dives no you don't you know? do it right no like like no. i think that is going to kill a lot of shows like that like you would come on it and like okay there's nothing better yeah. on i'm gonna right. watch this right and i mean this is better than gouging my eyes out with a spoon so i'm just sure. gonna watch it because it's on yeah but you don't do that anymore now we're in the golden age of television sure where everything is on demand right everything and, and everything's great like this is the problem like there's so many great shows as as is evidenced by our extensive list of things that bring us joy that involve uh television right absolutely and i'm trying to I, i'm like trying to branch out from that we'll talk about right. that like when we get to, oh oh see you're already you're already yeah. you know. uh i know but i will say that one of the things about television oh, and see. this is see uh, i will say this is that uh this kind of leads into our topic is that while there is this awesome content out there there's a you know a stable amount of content there's also <laughs> the change in how we acquire and how we watch and where we watch in the devices so it re- leads really nicely into the cross cutting concept uh, of i wish our audience could see the physical pain that that little uh, i can see it on your face your, you can see it but the I other can. folks sadly all they can, can do is hear me and you can't hear a cringe but listeners i had a i had a cringe of epic proportion as as ali was building that transition out of like marshmallow fluff there i i did i and i i think it was successful and and while you're cringing of course, you, of course you do and while you're cringing i have the biggest grin on my face that you could yes, possibly you imagine that i bad. have like the cat that ate the canary you know that look that look yeah. which which you frequently do have on your face i do because yeah. i en- i enjoy this so much so stability and chains that's our cross-cutting concept today yes. and and just to kind of uh to frame this a little bit because this is uh i mean this is again one of the i i think i'm going to stick with 
the cognitive gadget. I, I was listening to, back to this, uh, the episodes from the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. and, and the development of the metaphors. And you said, I think it, you said an epistemic tool, maybe mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. one of the first. And I, th- I think that's, that, that's probably what you're getting at with the, uh, the cognitive gadget. Um, but I, I like the cognitive gadget thing better. Not as esoteric, Sam. Not as esoteric. And it's far better than the other metaphors that I was presenting in terms of, I think at one point I caught Anakin it Luke Skywalker. Skywalker. <laughs> I know you threw Anakin. I said Luke. And then uh, we also threw out lightsabers. And I think we're just going to put all of those aside. I'm going to go and edit those out from all of yeah. the previous episodes. Yeah. And we'll so do some retconning. And, and right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Right. And uh, so to kind of frame this, this is, this is what the uh, next generation science standards say about stability and change it says for both designed and natural systems conditions that affect stability and factors that control rates of change are critical elements to consider and understand which you know absolutely it goes across all of the dimensions of science stability and change right but i think what we should do is just for a second step back to that cognitive gadget level and say, and just remind folks who this may be their first time experiencing the joy that is uh, science in between um, that uh, how we're thinking about or talking about cross-cutting concepts as things that we all recognize are part of science and the way that science teaching and what, what we want kids to learn from science. These are things that we, we implicitly understand that we want kids to learn but that we don't explicitly call out in our, pra- our teaching practice often enough or in-, in systematically enough to actually build them into things that kids understand, right? Right. So part of the goal of these cross-cutting concepts and, and the way that we're talking about them in terms of these cognitive gadgets um, is the idea that, look, these are thinking tools that you can give kids to help them be analytical about phenomenon and about the natural world and can help them draw their own connections across different areas of science. If you're explicit in your teaching and you're, you're pulling those things out and using them as tools so that the, the, the students can see that and they can start to learn how to use them themselves. And I think that we, we probably, I mean, we talk about it in all, all the areas of science, right? Rates of change and equilibrium and, and concepts, you know, that, I mean, that's in biology and that's in chemistry, but I, I, I will say that in doing some, some pre-episode prep for uh, today, um, I came across a quote that I think just like kind of was an aha moment for me that I think gets at the point that you're trying to make is that um, we don't highlight these enough. And so this is, um, I, I apologize again for reading, but this is, I think, important. Uh, it says, much of science and mathematics has to do with understanding how change occurs in nature and in social and technological systems. And I was like, oh, that, that, is, that is what math and science does. They try to understand that and try to understand it not only in, you know, in, in nature, but also in science and other systems. But then here's the other kicker that made the aha it says, and much of technology has to do with creating and controlling change. And I was like, wow, it's like everything has to do with change, either controlling it or promoting it or understanding it yep. and measuring, measuring, it. measuring it and all that. And I was like, wow, yeah. And it was one of those aha moments where I, uh, I just stopped and thought about that for a bit and said, yeah, you know what? It's like, it's like somebody pulled back the curtain and it was like, now I'm looking at things just a little differently. And I think that's the thing that we want to promote with our students is mm. that's that way of looking is to give them another way of seeing or understanding or, you know, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or another, another path, another way into these things, right. Mm-hmm. To another yeah. way for them to, because some are going to resonate more with some kids than others. Right. But, um, and, and I think, you know, one of the things, well, well, I do have to say one of the things I find interesting about that quote, um, it has to do with mathematics and that, um, you know, this idea that, and this is a hobby horse that we won't talk about too much, but, but this idea of STEM and these integrated disciplines and, and, and the idea that from a science point of view, mathematics is often seen as a tool for doing mm-hmm. science. Yeah. Mathematicians don't like that. So, so like mathematicians would not like this because it, because mathematicians understanding nature and uh, so in social and technological systems, that's, that's not really what mathematicians view their, their work. They see it. They see their work as being about mathematics and right. mathematics is, is not, it can be used for those things, but to say that that anyway, that's a sidebar, but I do like this quote and I do um, think it's worth uh, us unpacking a little and talking about um, why you found this compelling and, uh, and what, you know, um, how, how we see this connection in here. Well, I, I found it compelling. And like uh, this, again, the, uh, the ways of looking, the ways of understanding. And I've kind of done this in, in other uh, episodes where I've talked about like, uh, you know, I teach at a liberal arts institution and a liberal arts education is about providing students different ways of seeing, different ways of understanding. Because um, having a scientific perspective is different than taking a historical perspective, which is different than taking other, you know, lenses um, to bear on, a, uh, on a, a problem or a situation. And I think that stability and change is specifically this quote says, okay, look, this is, this is a way to th- conceptualize what we do with science, mathematics, and technology. And all of those things are related specifically to either causing change or keeping thing, keeping change from happening or understanding and measuring it. And it's just like, yeah, that's exactly what we do. And there's, and there's so much change that happens, but there's also change that we don't want to happen. And, you know, trying to understand how change happens is I think key to keeping it from happening too. Right. And so, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's the part that I, uh, that's the rabbit hole. I, that's the mental rabbit hole I went down as I was thinking about that quote and how powerful it was. Yeah. And I think one of the great things about it that I think was just exemplified in what you said about cross-cutting concepts in general is they do, they have the possibility of creating this moment for you where you're like, oh yeah, that is what science is all about, right? Like, oh, it is all about cause and effect. It is all about stability and change. It is all about size and scale and And energy and matter. Yes, it is. And it is all of those things. And that, um, but it also uh, is, is just a slice, right? It's, it's a right. way of, of, um, you know, an entry point, uh, uh, however you want to think about it, but it, but it, it, it is both. Yes, it is all those things. And also, yeah, it's not all those things. It's it, yeah. it, 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 so I, I think that's another cool thing about, um, cross-cutting concepts is the, they can give you this moment of like, oh yeah, these things are all connected by yeah. these fundamental features. It's like, it's like everywhere. And it's like midichlorians or something. Oh, wow. that. That was the groan right there for me. Yeah, thank you. I can hear people turning this off. That was totally for you. That was, I I don't really, midichlorians are one of the things that I I, I loathe most most about the post uh, three original movie. Right. And, and the, and there are people out there who are not star Wars fans. I I don't know many, but there are. And, um, 
And so they're going, they're probably Googling. Like what, what's midichlorians? Yeah. You don't, don't Google don't, it. Don't it's Google not worth it. your time no, or energy. No. Well, no. plus it'll be in your search history. And then that, that puts a label on you that you may not want. I just, right. it'll show up there. in your Instagram. It'll show up in, you know, Facebook yep. and all that. Cause yep. they're all connected. Yep. Cookies. 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 So you, you, you had said um, in our prep for this episode that you, you had a, a colleague who does a lot of work around stability and change. Yeah, well, um, specifically, so I'm talking about my colleague, Andreas Acher, who's at um, Bielefeld University in Germany, and but has been in other places prior to that. One of the places he was was at Northwestern University, but he's really interested in modeling in science. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that he's been doing recent work on is this... Um, this tool in biology called a transformation box, which is sounds very simple, right? It's literally just a box and it has three arrows going in and three arrows coming out. Um, and the three arrows going in are always uh, information, matter, and energy. And it's the same three arrows coming out. But <clears throat> the way you use this in bio- biology, well, first of all, it's meant to represent a sort of foundational way Um, sort of a cognitive gadget, a foundational way of thinking about biology specifically um, and biological systems. And basically what you can do is you can make anything in biology into a box and then think about it in terms of the information, energy, and matter that are going in and coming out of that box and the transformations that happen in the box. And then you can expand that box out and put things. So you could say, well, the first box is just like the body. We're going to call that a box. But then within that, you say, well, I'm really interested in digestion. So now you have different boxes, like you have the stomach is a box and you have the mouth is a box and you have, right. So, um, but the idea of this really is to, to help kids break systems down in, into pieces and connecting it back to stabilities and change, what things change and what things change, stay the same about those, those things that are going in and out. Cause that helps you with the analysis, right? Because stabilities and changes are the things that you're really caring about in biology. So, so um, what, are, what is coming in, what is going out, what stays the same and what changes helps you to analyze those systems. Um, so he's, he's done some really interesting work um, both in how, uh, kids use these tools in biology classrooms to help them analyze things, but also how um, teachers can use these tools to design curricula um, around uh, biological phenomenon because it helps you analyze those phenomena in ways that support building models instead of just uh, memorizing facts. And and biology, I think, in particular, is um, you know the 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 way that it is most often slighted in terms of pedagogy is that it basically just becomes a vocabulary course, right? right? Information it's all memorization, right? So and, here's all the different parts of the cell. Right. Here's all the different organs in the body. You just memorize it. So moving from that into everything in the, in these biological systems is ha- having inputs and outputs and is causing transformations and not transformations. So some things are staying the same thing. Some things are changing. I think it's really interesting. I think so too. And, and, you know, I, I, we might have talked about this in another episode, but where, you know, I, I, I gravitated to physics because it was a lot of process understanding. Like I, it was more about understanding how processes occurred and it was a lot less about, you know, this information dump, this, you know, memorization type of thing, which is a, you know, I, I wouldn't say that's how all biology is taught, but it was a lot of how intro biology is taught. Right. And yeah. so I would never get past like intro biology classes. Cause I just wasn't very successful with that, but that um, 
or I didn't put enough time and energy into being successful. I think it's probably a better way of, of, of describing it. Whereas, you know, the payoff came to physics a little more, more easily for me because the process is just how my brain works. Um, but I think that this way of approaching biology and just focusing on transformations and around those three areas, I think could be really powerful. And it also, I think, is uh, maybe a, a better way of... I mean, I don't mean to qualify it this way, but mm. it would be a, a a better way to use the information in biology. Because like, okay, it's important to know photosynthesis and it's important to know like all, all of that in terms of like the inner workings of, of that. But I think that if we just focus on the transformations, the changes that occur in terms mm. of those, then it becomes more useful for the everyday citizen scientists, right? It's like, okay, well, then just focusing on the transformations, it's like, okay, well, what are the things, what are the energy and things that need to go in and what are the things that come out and how's that? And so it takes really complex systems and focuses on things that I think are a little bit more readily available and more applicable to the everyday person. And, and I think that's the power of it. And I wonder, and, since you're you've worked closely with this this uh, researcher, is this something that they're that he's also taking to other um, science domains? Like, because I could see this yeah, also being a applicable. Question. Yeah, right. I could see this also being that sort of focus could also be really applicable to earth science, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, earth science with weather systems and you know big scale like astronomical systems, but then it also can be really applicable to like chemistry, right? You know, mm-hmm. like. Uh, you know, I, I think about like, you know, um, atomic level things and I think about, you know, gas systems and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. So there's a lot there. Well, right. And I think, um, I mean, I think to your point, certainly the, because it's the cross-cutting concept we're talking about, right? This idea of stabilities and changes cuts across these areas really nicely. I think this particular, you know, not to use this term again, but he call, he talks about it as, uh, Andreas talks about it as an epistemic tool, right? So it's, is domain specific, right? So it is meant to be a tool that you use in biology because it's foundationally built on the, on the concepts in biology. Are there epistemically specific tools for other subdomains of science? Absolutely. And we probably could think about what those look like. Um, And I think probably you could take the transformation box and in some areas make small tweaks to it and it would map across nicely in other areas. It probably doesn't work as well. Um, but, you know, for example, the, the, the input output of information makes a little less sense in some areas, unless you really broaden the notion of information. Um, but, but matter and energy transformations are, are clearly something that happen in all domains of science. In fact, it's a whole other cross-cutting concept, sure. right? So, um, so I think um, the thing that I like about it is that kind of focus on brings brings the focus in biology into like that these are processes like photosynthesis isn't just a, an equation that you memorize it's something that organisms well plant-based organisms are constantly engaged in like this is something they do um and and they do it to live and so understanding it as a process of like they're they're taking things in from their environment and outputting things into their environment and in the process they're transforming them um that thinking about biology that way, I think, you know, to your point would have been very compelling to me compared to what I, uh, how I learned it when I was in high school, um, because it would make it feel like it was a thing, you know, like you're describing it. Uh, it's a process, especially 
in biology, which is about life. Like life yeah. is so much of a process and a fascinating, complex process. And then to boil it down into like, well, let's just memorize all the bits and pieces. Yeah. It, it seems to denude it of all its interest. But you and I are both physics people. So we ended up yeah. in physics. You know, I, I think my story is very similar to yours. I had AP Absolutely. biology in high school and that's the last time I took a biology class and I hated it. Yeah. I, I had to take a, uh, a biology class in college and mm. I literally waited till the last possible semester to take it because I knew it was going to be a slog for me. Yeah. Um, just because it's memorization is something that's really challenging for me. And like, it's just not how it's not something that comes very easy to me. And so I have to spend a lot of time and energy into doing it. And, mm. um, yeah, so I knew that that was going to be something that was going to be a real slog. Coming back to your to this epistemic tool, the transformation box, one of the pieces of the cross-cutting concept of stability change is about rate, mm. you know, rates of change. And mm. so it focuses on the things that change. Does the, does the transformation box also focus on like, like a time component? Do they say like this occurs yeah, over – you know, this is a, you know, a one minute process versus, you know, seconds or like, you know, this could ha happen over decades or, you know. Right. Yeah. No, it doesn't do that. So that's at least as far as I know. I mean, sure. Andreas might say, oh, you, no, 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 you're misrepresenting. Of course it does. But from, yeah. from my understanding of it, it mostly focuses on inputs and outputs and then explicitly stability and change. So, so that's, that's, I'm not knocking it. Cause I think it's a no, powerful, no. it's a powerful thing. And I'm like, I wish I would have yeah. learned biology that way. Um, yeah. But I, you know, taking it back to the cross cutting concepts, one of the critical aspects of it is not just talking about the things that do change or the things that don't it's the, the scale, the time scale. And this is where it kind of like bleeds over to, you know, the stuff we talked about um, in a previous episode, which is, you know, scale and, and quantity and proportions and so scale time is a pretty critical part of this stability and change concept is like how fast these changes happen um, because something that may be looking stable in a certain lens or certain frame right. um, may actually be changing. And we're so when we talk about like things like plate tectonics or things right. like exactly you know, that was the example I was going to use. Too. Right. Yeah. And because those are changes that happen, you know, over, you know, millions of years. And, and so it's, it looks like things are, are are stable when in fact they're not and right. so um i think that would be and i i'm sure there's biological things where transformations occur very quickly uh, you know again this is like completely outside of, but i'm coming back sure. to the transformation box there are transformations that happen very quickly versus there are ones that happen very slowly and sure. so i think lending that sort of piece to that could be something a critical new element yeah yeah, I mean, I I do think it it'd be interesting to see whether he explicitly takes that into account, and certainly that is critically important. And biology, probably of all, I mean, I'm trying to think about about this. Maybe ever they all do it, so I should roll that back. But certainly, you can think of like biological processes happening very fast, like at yeah. the chemical internal, you know, to an organism level, and then things like evolution, which can take you know generations upon generations yeah. of an organism to make to make change. So you're like, Oh yeah, humans are basically the way humans are. Well, yeah, now. Right. Um, but it's not like that's been a permanent state of affairs. Uh, so yeah, the temporality of that, the importance of thinking about time and, and where these stabilities and changes happen, I think is incredibly important and, and likely, even though I thought differently initially, uh, true across all disciplinary areas. So while I think of it first in earth science, maybe, um, it, it, it's in all areas. So um, 
the, the other thing I do want to say about um, stabilities and changes in the context of transformation boxes, and maybe this is true more broadly, is that one of the key things about stability and change in the transformation boxes is, is that by identifying which things change and which things stay the same, you understand the system in a much more nuanced way, right? right? So it's not just like, are things changing or staying the same? It's like what within the system is changing and what is staying the same. And that's a much more nuanced view on stability and change, right? It's, it's not just saying, oh yeah, humans evolve. It's like, well, what does that mean? Like what in the system is changing and what isn't changing? And that that analytical lens um, is also really powerful because it it can get you into things like understanding how variables work in science, right? Like yeah. what what things are you controlling for? What are you trying to keep stable? And what things are you trying to change in order to understand that phenomenon better? So um, so this idea of of it's not just does an individual thing change or stay stable? It's does that thing compared to other things stay stable or change? So not to make this into the transformation box episodes, but I think it's a, it's a really powerful tool and, and I'm kind of like uh, piecing it apart. So uh, I, I wonder, so has, has the research looked at it across grade levels? Because one of the things about the cross-cutting concepts is that this is something, you know, in primary grades and, you know, elementary and middle level grades, this is something that is scaffolded. So like, you know, early grades, it's just that students understand that change happens, right? That it can happen slowly, it can happen fast, and, you know, that, that there is change, and there's things that happen that, that you know, are stable, and just understanding that at it's, like, sort of, like, the, you know, most basic level, and then we go from there, right? And, and but I think that the transformation box could be a really good way uh, of, like, sort of scaffolding that, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe just focusing on certain aspects of it, or, um, yeah, so I think that could be a really powerful thing because, you know, one of the things I was going to bring to the table today was uh, some, some, some research, and we could put this in the, in the show notes, but uh, and it's not great because it talks about, it takes a really conceptual change perspective to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that they did was they looked at uh, how, because uh, equilibrium is a pretty big concept. If you're going to talk about stability mm-hmm. change, equilibrium is a pretty it's big right concept. right in there. Yep. Yeah, it is. It's like right in the wheelhouse. And so... Um, what they did was they looked at kids' understanding of equilibrium and, and how equilibrium happens and how systems, you know, specifically around thermal systems, how they get uh, to reach equilibrium. And what they found was that earlier grades, uh, younger grades, uh, that students, and I'm going to try the word, let's see, because you know okay. I have trouble with words sometimes, yes. anthropomorphized. How'd they oh, do? Yeah. Very All nice. Right. Well done. I'm not going to try it again, but that's what they did. So yeah. they, 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 uh, approached it as if the the you know temperature was a a, a living being right oh it doesn't like that to be this agency it could do right things. right yeah. it could do things and it's like it doesn't like to be this way so it shares this and mm-hmm. and so while that is a, a you know basic you know it's I mean it's not bad but it is it helps you better understand and, and understand where kids are coming from when they're working with concepts like this mm-hmm. and but i think the transformation box could be a, a a useful tool to help them focus on not just like that these things have like you know free will or something right, right. Uh, but that they that there are other things at play and i think that could be a um a, a great way to kind of move students um or at least help them to see it from a different perspective yeah i mean 
the, so that made me think of a, a couple things. So one is back to the original question, which is, has he looked at this across grade levels? And the answer is, yeah. So they, they started out actually the work was with preschool kids mostly, oh, cool. um, but now it's um, his work is focused on elementary, but in between those, he did work with middle and high school students too. So, so, so that that's one of the beauties I think about the transformation box as, as a, as a tool, as an epistemic tool is that it, it is simple. Right. And, and so, so, and, and it's not complicated to draw. So little kids can draw it and they can start to think about like, well, what's going in and what's coming out. And they can think of, you know, like the ones that I've seen when he's doing with preschool kids, you know, they're talking about like food going in and poop coming out, right? It's like, okay, <laughs> that's yeah, great. absolutely. Yeah, that's so what's changed. going on yes. there? How, how did the food There's get to be poop? Yeah. yeah. So it, it's, it starts to get them thinking about like, oh, I'm, I'm like a, I'm a box. I have inputs and I have yeah. outputs. And how, how does like how does that work? And and I'm transforming that stuff as it's inside my body. So that's fascinating, right? And that can get kids access to this. And then you start breaking it down and saying, like, okay, well, what what's happening? Where are some of those other things? Well, I have my mouth. So first I put the food in my mouth and I chew it. So okay, now we can talk about the in is into your mouth, but then where's the out? Well, right. oh, well, it goes down my throat into sure. somewhere, right? And so so yeah, I think that um that, that's cool. It, that is yeah. really cool. And it's got a cool name too. Transformation yeah. box. It I'm going to declare it. He, he's a, he's a friend of the show right friend there. The show. Friend of Andreas. the show. I'll, I'll yeah. tell him. I'm yeah. sure he'll start listening. If he's not already, he could be, he could already he could, be, yeah. it'll be, he could already be listening. That and then the other thing I'm just cool. going to pitch in terms of research. So the, this anthropomorphizing language and stuff um, that, so there's a, uh, there's a group um, that, well, over time, actually, the leader of this group has now retired from Michigan State, but um, Andy Anderson, Charles Anderson, who um, was at, who's a, who's a icon, like a, a I think we, ta- we talked about him education. in a previous episode. Did we, Andy? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Andy at Michigan State did learning progressions work, and he had a lot of people that worked with him. Um, Kristen Gunkel, who's now at the University of Arizona, um, was one of those people. And, and they developed this sort of framework around... Um, drawing on the work of Steven Pinker of forced dynamic language, which is what you're talking about, which is the way that English is, which is that English has actors and actions. And so it's natural. That's a natural first stage for kids when they're talking about phenomenon in science to use that sort of forced dynamic language. Um, And this is something we can come back to, but it relates to Brian Brown's book too, that science is a foreign language, which is to say, Mm -hmm science doesn't like forced dynamic language. We don't, we think it's yeah. funny when you talk about temperature, having wants or needs or doing stuff. Right. But or that's likes a, and dislikes. It exactly. doesn't like that. It doesn't right. like to be. It doesn't, way. it doesn't like to be cool. It doesn't like to be warm. It just is what it is. And, yeah. but, but, uh, but it is, it, it brings back this, you know, another throw, uh, another callback to Brian Brown's idea of like, you know, when you're teaching kids science, one of the things you're teaching them is how to talk differently about the world. And, and one of the big jumps for them is to move from this, the way that we talk in general, which is about, you know, in a forced dynamic way, which is there are actors that are engage in action um, and helping them understand that, well, that's not the way we talk about it in science because we don't, right? It doesn't mean that you can't. And back to Brian's original idea, right? Which is you want to hear what the kid is meaning, not what the kid is saying, but understanding that, that especially with young kids, that's the way they're going to talk about science and not in many cases, probably not trying to fix that, not trying to say, oh no, we don't say temperature likes or dislikes. 
just understand that that's the way that kids are initially going to talk about these ideas and then over time help them change that. Yeah, I mean, that uh, we can link to this article, but one of the things I, I didn't like about it, um, besides the conceptual framework, uh, conceptual change framework, was that they also talked about these as like, I, I think the term was primal. Like mm. it was like, it, mm. so it comes with that deficit piece that, you know, we talked about in, in with when we discussed Brian's work um, was that, you know, he doesn't take that perspective. He doesn't take a, you know, it's, it's where students are, where, where they are. And, right. and, and we, we work with their current understanding. We use that terminology and then we, you know, try to, you know, move them as best we can to, to other places. And, and I think right. that trying to take a less of a deficit mindset to it um, and just understanding where kids are developmentally um, and how to use that to, to, to your advantage in teaching science. You yeah, know? no, I think that's right. And that certainly calls back to Brian's work and, and, and understanding that, um, you know, we don't want to think of mis we don't want to think about misconceptions. We want right. to think about ideas that kids currently have and how they're productive in helping them develop more robust and productive science understandings. Right. But not to say like, Oh, dummy head. Yeah. Um, you, you think, you think temperature has feelings like that, that, that doesn't do anybody any good, um, to, to just, and, and I'm not saying teachers actually say dummy head. What I'm saying is, I don't think when, anybody says dummy head, <laughs> you know, probably just me <laughs> no, and I'll never say it again. Thank you. Oh yeah. But, but it gets at this implicit, um, what happens implicitly with teaching, right? Which is when you evaluate kids ideas, even when you don't recognize that you're doing it, when you say, Oh, that's a really nice idea, Ollie, but it's not quite, quite right. right. Yeah. Let me, let me tell you what the right idea you. is. Let me, let me, let me scold you, yeah. you know, without in, in really... the nicest possible way. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to play good cop and bad cop simultaneously. Yeah. So Yeah. But, oh, well, well, thanks. That's a really good idea. <laughs> thanks but, for sharing. It's like, but. Oh, thanks for sharing, Ollie. Yeah. Good times. Well, good time. I think we've all been in that situation either as the receiver or possibly as the sender, right? Yeah. And, oh, for sure. Yeah. Where you yeah. try to, I mean, it's, I understand why, I know firsthand why we do it, right? It's to try to, you know, save you know, the student face, right. To try to go, okay, I'm not going to embarrass this kid, but in the same sense, what we're doing is we're communicating pretty clearly that yeah. what they have to contribute, contribute to the conversation isn't a value. Right. And that is probably worse than anything. Yeah. Well, and it's like the, uh, you know, the classic example of the reading groups, you know, it's like yeah. the red birds, the blue birds and the brown birds. And it's like, everybody knows what the brown birds mean and you don't want to be in the brown birds, yeah. right? Because the brown birds is where the dummies go. And so it's the same thing. Like you're not telling the kid that they're, that they're not smart, but what you're doing is you're positioning them and their ideas as, as not valid and not, not a contributing part of the, of the classroom community. And when you do that, you disenfranchise those kids a little bit in that one instance, but all they need is for that to happen off enough. And then they're done. Right? I think technically the brown birds are for the dummy heads. That's what's... no, that's what you would say. I don't say that anymore. I don't use that kind of language on this podcast. I'm just don't trying me. to, you know, you, adopt. You hurt, my, you, you hurt my feelings with that. I apologize. Do that's, you? That's just that, that seemed that seemed genuinely insincere. I I wasn't trying to embarrass you or make you feel less than. Well, yeah. It well, you failed because <laughs> I because I feel less than. Uh well, you know. So let's talk about things that change. bring us joy. That's, which that's is, some stability and change right there. <laughs> clearly not you. <laughs> I don't bring, bring you joy. No. Oh wow. Well, 
Yeah. So, so uh, so this is the last episode of Science in Between because <laughs> I'm done with because, Ollie. Yeah, because Scott's feelings are hurt. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, a, cha- that's a, changed right there. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a snowflake, and I. You are. You, you are a gentle you. soul. Thank you. All right, carry so, on. So, so uh, I, I here's I'll, I'll share my joy uh, okay. first. Um, I'm reading a book that I got for Christmas. Um, I had I got a bunch of books for Christmas, so this is on the the well, it was in the hum- queue. Humble brag. No, it's just that you know was one of the gifts. Like last year, it was experiences for 2020. We bought uh, we bought experiences, right? Uh-huh. So we bought lots of tickets to lots of shows and didn't go to any of them. <laughs> didn't so, go to any. Mm-mm. So this year, let's go. Let's go tangible. Let's go something that like uh, uh-huh. the pandemic can't screw up a book, you know. So uh, so I got you know a handful of books that I've been working my way through, and this is one that I was hoping you know t- that was going to be as as good as it, it, it seemed. And it's called the Invisible life of Addie LaRue um, by mm-hmm. V.E. Schwab. Um, and so it's, it's this, uh, so I'll try to set it up. It's, it's total fiction. Um, and when you hear the premise of it, it you, you go like, oh yeah, it's absolutely fiction. <laughs> so it's set in, and originally it's set in the you know, 1700s where a, uh, a woman is, uh, you know, it's a, an arranged marriage. She's going to get, she's going to get married off to a, a, a widower um, and she doesn't want to be. And so what happens is she uh, talks to the old spirits and makes a deal that uh, she's never going to be owned. That's the deal she makes with it. And, and the trade-off is she'll never be owned. And when sh- she's done with her soul, the spirits can have it. Mm. All right. And Amen. so, but what that is, and it's, it's kind of a trick, is that the spirits actually by that that term being owned means that she can't leave a mark. She can't leave a mark anywhere. So uh, this, this is like the monkey's paw, right? Right. It is the monkey's paw. You're right. And so the, the idea is that the invisible life is that she can meet somebody and then moments later they forget her. Mm. And so she never leaves a mark. She can't write. She can't draw. Ooh. And then so, you know, the spirits, and it's a spirit um, or a god, an old god, I think is the way they present it in the book, is uh, thinking that, you know, how long can she put up with this? Um, and that she's going to just give over her soul. But it ends up being uh, something where the book spans hundreds of years because, you know, she can't die because dying, because she can't cut her hair. She can't like bleed. Uh, she can't, because any of that would leave a mark. Any of that would mean that someone uh, like something, even the earth would own part of her. And so, you know, the, she's like, becomes this like really, um, she's stubborn and adamant about the fact that she's going to win. She's going to be like, look, you know, yeah. you're, you're not, get, you're not getting this soul anytime soon. And and so it's a, just a really interesting story from like how she goes from like daily existence to try to like just make it through the day to, to, to really thriving and then, you know, take some twists and turns. So it's, it's an absolutely enjoyable book. It's so far outside of the stuff that, you know, we, we read academically, you know, yeah. so sometimes it's, it's good to kind of have that, you know, different, you know, perspective on the world, you know, nice old gods. Nice. You know, old gods, the invisible life of Addie LaRue. Excellent. I like yeah. it. Um, well, I have a simple one this, this week. Um, I'll save, I'll save my book one for next week. Um, I think, well, we'll see. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm in a book and I'm going to, I'll let you know if I'm going to, if it, if it qualifies for bringing me joy by, by next All time. Right. But um, 
What I will say that is bringing me joy that's pretty straightforward these days is um, in Pennsylvania, we got a lot of snow. Uh, and one of the things I like to do because I spent a lot of time uh, in the snow when I lived in Michigan and Colorado is I like to snowshoe. So um, so I got to do some snowshoeing over the, the last weekend and that uh, it just, um, it it's like, you know, like any getting out of nature, it's nice to just be out and in the quiet and in the, in, in the nature, uh, and hanging out. But, um, but it also is, is very, um, nostalgic for me because it reminds me of, you know, when I was living in Colorado and, and we, I could do this in the mountains and I was, you know, my wife and I were early on in our, in our, uh, relationship and all that good stuff. So, um, nice. so it's, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it, it was nice to be able to do that this weekend. And it looks like I'm going to have lots of opportunities yeah. in the future to, to keep snowshoeing. So, uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, that's, what's bringing me joy. That that's awesome. I, I've never been a, uh, a winter sports guy. Like mm. I've never been a skier. I mean, I've tried, my wife's a skier or has been a skier. Yeah. yeah. Um, but because of my, uh, I, I have trouble with balance. I have, uh, some balance issues. I didn't know, you know that about you. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the most athletic person. And I think most of it mm. comes from the fact that I, I, I struggle with band balance, but I think most of it comes back to just struggling with, you know, um, my body in the place of the world, which is comes down to ba- balance. And so mm-hmm. I don't always, um, yeah, I can ride a bike and that's, that's successful for me. Skiing was something I just couldn't do. Yeah. And, and I just want to point out that you brought that up in the stabilities and changes. Episode. Oh, look, at, look that. at that. And that right there is how we're going to put this episode to bed. Yeah, we have to, because it can't get any better than that. No, I appreciate that. Your, nice your work. personal stability and change. Well, it's not really change, but okay. Right. Fair enough. It's, yeah. Stability. Well, it's we'll falling over. So there's definitely some, there's, some, there's some change. change, some change going on there. Oh, so this is, this is Ollie and Scott. And this is Scott and Ollie. Yeah, and, uh, and, and this is Science In Between. See you next yeah, time. See you next time. In Between.